Welcome to Soul Nectar, the podcast sanctuary where we dance in the intersection of that which is deemed sacred and profane, exploring what it means to embrace our full spectrum humanness while on the path of spiritual, erotic, emotional, and creative wholeness, liberation, and aliveness. I'm your guide, Nadine Hamilton, passionate coach and teacher of holistic sexuality, devoted somatic practitioner, earth lover, writer, and lifelong student. From my heart to yours, thank you for being here. Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm so excited for you to tune into this episode. It's so special and I feel like I say that every single episode, but I really, really mean it, particularly for this one because for a lot of reasons, but first of all, it's the very first interview on the show with a male guest. And I can't imagine having a better guest to bestow that title to. <laughs> um, I interviewed one of my dear teachers, David Bedrick, who, as you'll hear in the conversation, his work has just profoundly, profoundly shifted my life and my work and how I show up in my relationships and even in my relationship with myself. So David Bedrick was an adjunct faculty for the University of Phoenix and the Process Work Institute in the U.S. and Poland. He's the founder of the Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies, where he offers facilitation training to deepen the skills and awareness of therapists, coaches, and healers, as well as workshops for individuals to further their own personal development. He's a writer for Psychology Today and the author of three books with a fourth book coming out in 2024. And this man has completely altered the way that I view shame. He's the first person who I've heard not speak about shame as a feeling or an emotion, but rather as a witness, an internalized witness or a lens that we now see ourselves through. And I have had the privilege to watch him facilitate his sessions one-on-one -on -one with people. And it is just the most beautiful, poetic, artistic spiritual, just beautiful process that is filled with permission, tenderness, care, and of course, so much unshaming. And he really carries this deep level of humility and reverence for all the people that I've seen him work with and really recognize them and feel them and see them and love them on a soul level. He has this way of making people around him feel so seen and heard and loved and to remember their own innate, untouchable preciousness and sense of belonging in this world. In this episode specifically, we covered a lot of ground. Of course, we dove into shame and how shame is an internalized witness. And something that we didn't get to dive in too much in this conversation, but something I've heard David talk about a lot is how as a culture, when we are talking about trauma, a lot of times we have a large focus on the victim and the perpetrator. And we completely forget to consider the witness and what the witness's role was during that traumatic experience. And of course, it's incredibly important to talk about the perpetrator and the victim, but what actually plays a huge role in determining how that traumatic experience potentially stays with us going forward 
is the role of the witness or lack thereof. So was there someone there who validated you or who loved you or protected you or defended you or was just listening to you and helping you to feel that you're not alone? Or was there someone who was bypassing your emotions or gaslighting you or trying to belittle or play down the bigness of how much harm was actually done? So it's really important to consider that because it heavily impacts the internalized witness that we then carry with us. So if as a kid, there was no witness who was defending us and protecting us and validating us, then it's more likely that we grow up to erase our own inner experience and to gaslight ourselves and to not be able to trust ourselves, believe in ourselves, and protect ourselves. In the conversation, we also explored how to view our symptoms and our behaviors as intelligent messengers that are revealing something to us. We spoke about how loving yourself is knowing yourself and how to build self-love through enjoyment of oneself. We spoke about radical love and acceptance of our bodies exactly as they are, how big difficulties and challenges and pain in our lives tend to also lead to big gifts and medicine, as well as so many more juicy topics that you're going to hear. And finally, before we dive into the episode, I also want to announce that I do have spaces available for private coaching. So if you're someone who is really seeking out somatic-based coaching and healing, specifically around cracking open your heart, your sexuality and intimacy, also your creativity, your desires, your spirituality, your confidence, then this might be for you. This work is really deep and holistic, honoring all parts of yourself, especially the profound wisdom of your own body as I help to guide you back home to yourself. I do specialize in love, intimacy, and sexuality. So if you're someone who wants to feel really at home, really safe and free and loving and expressed within your own sexuality, whether it's with a lover, with a partner, or even with yourself, then I would be so honored and excited to work with you. So I will leave the information and the links in the show notes for you to check out. And if you have any questions whatsoever, feel free to reach out. And if you feel like you are getting anything positive and impactful out of Soul Nectar podcast, it would mean so much and make such a difference if you took just a moment on whatever streaming platform you're on right now to leave a rating and a review. This really helps other people to find these conversations and it helps to keep the show up and running. Thank you so, so much in advance for everyone who chooses to support the show in that way. And without further ado, here is today's Soul Nectar podcast episode with David Bedrick. Enjoy. I'm sitting here with one of my teachers, David Bedrick. This is the first time we've gotten to speak one-to-one, and I'm super excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Nadine. Me too. I'm happy to be here. I love your title, Soul Nectar. Thank you. Thank you. So you are someone who has made such a deep impact on my work with clients and also Mm. my relationship with myself, my personal relationships in my life and have like really, really altered my perspective of shame. Mm -hmm. Previously, I related to shame as 
an emotion Mm -hmm. and you teach a different approach where we relate to shame as a witness and like a lens that we see through. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear more about your definition of shame and how you kind of view that. Mm -hmm. I define shame, as you were saying, as an internalized witness. That means the eyes through which you look at yourself, especially the things that cause you difficulty. So let's say I'm nervous. I'm always a little bit, we were talking, I was always a little bit nervous when I do anything, I meet new people, etc. Now let's say I look at that nervousness as some kind of problem, something not okay with me. I better get over it so that I can do a good job. Okay. I have my chamomile tea sitting here and I should whatever, get a good night's sleep and whatever people do for that, meditate a little bit. But so that's a way of looking at my nervousness. I'm looking at it as a problem, like a symptom, right? Oh, I have a headache. I should take an aspirin and make my headache go away. Great. I would love to have relief from my headaches, relief from my nervousness. It's not only pleasant, but there's another way of looking at my nervousness as an alive energy that's not very well known. So then I put my attention as a different kind of witness, not one that pathologizes, looks at my nervousness as a problem, as a symptom, mm-hmm. right? as a pathology, but looks at it as an intelligent messenger. Well, what's its message? Someone say, it may be because you're scared, but those are good ideas, but that's not asking my nervousness. My nervousness exists. We were talking about this before. It may be a little jitteriness. So I, as I say that, people can say, I shake my hands a little bit naturally. So if you said, oh, you're shaking hands, let's forget your ideas and just witness, look at your shaking hands. Go ahead, shake your hands more. Go ahead, let them really shake. Ah, now they're shaking and my eyes, I noticed, are opening wider. And you say, what's that like? Gosh, I have so much energy. I can't hold it all back. Oh, we thought we interpreted it as a problem. It looks like you have a lot of energy you're trying to hold back. Maybe you shouldn't hold it all back. Whatever, something. Maybe you're more passionate than you realize. So now I've looked at my nervousness from a lens that says that's an intelligent messenger as opposed to a problem to fix. And I get remembered to, reconnected to how intensely passionate I am. I'm trying to be a calm, reasonable person. Mm. But the calm, reasonable person has a messenger. You have lots more energy. Don't call me nervousness. This is your passion speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So mm-hmm. beautifully said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something that resonates so deeply with me about your teachings is... Mm-hmm the emphasis on seeing and believing and feeling and expanding everything that we typically push away or that we internally marginalize about ourselves and Mm -hmm. witnessing how when we have the courage and even the audacity to like fully go into it and fully express it, fully feel it, there comes this moment where we're reconnected with the medicine, the gift, the power of that part of ourselves that we've been shaming for so long. And I've witnessed you guiding other people in your sessions and it's so poetic. It brings me to tears. Like it's so Mm -hmm. artistic, the Mm -hmm. unraveling of Mm -hmm. the process work. And there Mm -hmm. comes this moment in your sessions Mm -hmm. where I've seen you 
like guiding people to that realization, that somatic moment of, wow, this is me. This is who I am. This is a core part of what I'm here to share with the world. Mm, wow. I, I wish I could write all that down and put it in my next website. That was, <laughs> that was no, seriously, that was like exquisitely put. I love to use the word audacity. I don't usually use that mm. word. I was just reading um, uh, one of B'nai Brown's books, something about imperfection. I can't remember. Imperfection is in the title. I can't remember what the, um, what the full title is. Um, and she, some people know she's the, maybe the foremost thought leader on shame, I would say, and, and a brilliant researcher. And what she call, talks about courage. And I like, as I heard you say that, I thought, oh, the word audacity is mm -hmm. even richer for me because it's, it's bolder. Courage, right. is, I can speak up, but audacious is, is a boldness. I love that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. To me, it feels kind of like mischievous, kind of like take that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Take it has that. some, some energy behind it. Yeah. Don't we need that, that kind of take that, that audaciousness we need to learn that as children. Mm. So we're not learning to be suppressed. Mm -hmm. We're learning to be audacious. Take that meaning take me, right? It's not a, it's a take what's really in me and respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What that's good. Mm -hmm. What's mm -hmm. that um, reminding me of is also like a core part of the different processes that you teach is fully going into and owning and loving and embracing our inner protective mechanisms, which within kind of the neo-spiritual community, I feel like there can be a lot of shame around that. Like, oh, you should be fully forgiving, fully accepting, fully taking responsibility of your triggers, or if someone is mistreating you and just take it as a reflection of something within you that still needs to be healed or fixed. Mm. And your work has really allowed me to own the parts of myself that do want to defend myself and do want to protect myself and not viewing that as something that needs to be constantly fixed and healed, but something that is sacred and that has a place in this world. So huge. It's so trauma, abuse, insensitive to shame a person's defense systems because Many of us who were hurt, I have a, I own a few story I can say if it's, it's the right moment. Um, we've been hurt when we're young. And if we were missing a witness, somebody who said, oh my gosh, I saw, I believe you, I saw that, or I know, I believe your story, right? And I have an urge to care about you, compassion. And if I could protect you, I would. So that you then feel what some people would call worthiness. You, what you're experiencing matters to me. And if I could protect you from harm, I would do that. People then take something in. And if I don't have that, a huge insult, shame goes in, then I don't think I'm worthy of that kind of protection, et cetera. And then the things inside of me that would push back anger, boundaries, forcefulness, those kinds of things, defensiveness, withdrawing, Right, all those things get looked at as a, a pathology. You shouldn't withdraw. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't be triggered. And then we're missing the story in the background that says, actually, I never got to do that. 
I know nobody did that for me. I didn't learn it from models who said, I'm going to protect you. I won't let that happen to you, David. Your father treats you like that again. I'll call the police or whatever, like my mother could have done, right? She didn't. Um, if we're missing that, then when that arises in me, if you're looking at that as that's a problem to get rid of, you're not seeing, I'm trying to develop the basic structures of self-love in those particular moments. Maybe I don't use it well yet. Who does when you first learn something? But I'm learning. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so when glad. I worked with your, uh, some years ago, and she came to me saying, I said, what do you need help with? And she said, I need help with my relationships. They're all failing because I'm not open enough. Mm. And she was in a spiritual community and they were helping her try to be more open. And it wasn't working. Wasn't working, meaning some part of her didn't go along with the agenda of be open, right? Somebody says, I should be open. Another part of her goes, I'm not doing it <laughs> right? right? because it's, it's not doing it. So I said, let's be closed. Why would I do that? Well, between you and me, you know my work. I'm like, well, she thinks closed is a problem. I don't even know what closed means yet. <laughs> it's a word. It's a word that somebody doesn't like. <laughs> I, I can see why some people wouldn't like me or you as a woman to be closed. I want everybody to be open to everything I do. Well, I'm not only open to what you, everything you do, David, or whatever. So that already makes a kind of a sense that that idea of being open hmm. And we say, especially for a woman, it could be for a man or or somebody who's non-binary. But this whole, you should be open all the time. Why? When there's hurtful things. <clears throat> but I asked her, if you can be closed, what would you do if you were free? I'll, I'll speed up what happened. And she said, I would go hide behind something like a big rock. Mm. And I was like, great. Make believe you're going to hide behind the rock. And she said, then I'd be looking around the rock to look at you. But, you know, so I can like, you know, she put her hands in front of her eyes like like a web. I can see you, but I don't want to be seen. Like I'm checking you out, but you can't check me out because I'm behind something, right? I'm like spying on you, looking at you. And um, she had a current boyfriend that she was worried about not being open with. And um, I said, go ahead and look at him from behind that rock. Study him from behind that rock. And you can already heal. There's a here. There's a sense of safety behind that rock. I can look at you and check you out, you know, without like you know, you stopping me. And I said, "What do you see?" And she said, "I'm looking at him to determine whether he can really meet my deeper needs." Whoa! So when she gets together with somebody, her own needs drift away, and she's there for for the other person's needs. Hi, Nadine, I'm here for you. I hope I can hope maybe you'll like me if I do this, if I do that, right? And then yeah. David and his needs don't exist, right? Just you exist. I'm using that as an example, right? That that would be how she would be. So now she has this thing called closeness, but what's in the closeness is a desire to check a personality. This is a good relationship for me. Is this not a good relationship? I mean, maybe this one doesn't fit. She doesn't have that freedom. But in what's called closed, and I say called closed because what is it really? I don't really know. It's an instinct to get to know her own needs. And once she knows that, in actuality, Nadine, she becomes more open than ever before. Because she's like open now. If she comes off all the way, she says, hi, Nadine. Uh, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to tell you about my needs too. Now that's a really open person, even open about their own needs, etc. None of that can happen if we start with 
be open. Closed is bad. Mm. And shame wraps itself around the idea of closeness. We don't get to know who she is. Wow. Wow. That goes to show the power of the witness, right? The loving witness, Mm -hmm. instead of always thinking that, or in relation to what you just shared, I was very much indoctrinated by that exact same (laughs) thinking in the past of like, oh, in order to be in my feminine energy, in order to be a good spiritual person, I need to be fully open, fully receptive, fully relaxed and flowy all the time. But that's not human. Mm. (laughs) That's not Mm. reality. That's not honoring all of these other parts of ourselves that are so equally worthy of being seen and felt and explored. Um, So when we have permission to literally just see those parts and let them have a breath of air and come up to the surface to breathe, we see the intelligence of it and the life force in it and what it's trying to teach us. Yes. It's a big thing you're talking about. I'm seeing in the last few years, maybe I've just been not seeing it before, a lot about these ideas of this is what a masculine or a man, sometimes they don't. people don't make those distinctions, and a feminine or a woman should be if they're well and if they're healthy. They're interesting ideas, and sometimes I find them like interesting, worthy of investigation for me. But the lack of diversity, and this is the way, the truth, right that becomes problematic for the for who we are for the moments when openness is not called for at all mm-hmm. right mama bear somebody wants to call it is called for right no way do you pass this gate you know to hurt me or those i love that also has to belong whether that's to a woman or to the feminine or to anybody really yeah yeah and i know diversity is something that you talk about a lot and systems of oppression and marginalization, both culturally and socially, and also internally. And I believe there's no separation, really, you know, like the the ways in which we oppress certain aspects of ourselves is most likely being reflected in our external realities as well. Could you talk a little bit more about, yeah, that relation between inner and outer diversity and how systems of marginalization and oppression maybe permeate inside of ourselves. Yeah. That's a huge question. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking about that. And I mean the first thing that comes to me is that story I just told about the woman being closed and open. And you're bringing up the issue of learning that to be in your feminine. I can't remember how you said that. Um then is to be open. So then we have an idea that's for that particular woman that I spoke about, or for you, that's a personal issue. But then it's a gender issue also, because they're saying the feminine, and she learned that as a woman in specific, right? That she should be open from spiritual teachers who are men. So now we could take that as our personal psychology. You don't have to be open all the time. You could have boundaries. Great, and have your own needs. Great. But then what she has internalized as a witness is also woven in not separate from internalized sexism from sexism women should be this way and then that serves a patriarchal culture you could say to maintain itself good for me as a man if women continue acting the way it's not good for me but you get the idea for a certain kind of 
patriarchal system. I wouldn't say a particular man. That's really useful. So now you say she has an individual struggle. She has a gender struggle. That's internalized sexism. That's really worthy of noting. Now it's not only her individual issue, but it belongs to a collective. Now she's woven in, co connected to a community of people that, again, makes her less shame. This is not me, me with psychological problems. This is a gender issue and a cultural issue that has existed before I was alive. Oh, it's got hundreds of years of history and buildup and my mother and my grandmother. Now I see what I'm up against, right? So she has a perspective then. I'm not just up against something, oh, I should learn to do that, but something much bigger. So that's one helpful thing in people seeing their difficulties as grafted onto social issues. Mm -hmm. And for men too, men have a, that, that internalization of a sexist culture. I should be strong. I should be tough. I should be hard and ready whenever sex presents itself. I should, right? There's an idea. I shouldn't cry, right? If I bring out my feelings, I just wrote something about racism on on, um, on social media, on a reel, on Instagram. The number of people who said, you're queer, your, your boyfriend must put you up to this. You must pee sitting down. Um, like in a host of other, you're a fruit, you're a fruitcake. And I'm thinking, that's so interesting. I have to be married to a woman, whatever that means, it's irrelevant, really. But for them, they're seeing somebody that is not what a straight male should be like. They're not just mm -hmm. seeing David's point of view. So now their criticism is not only a criticism of David, it's an idea of what manhood should look like. <laughs> A man shouldn't be expressing himself with his hands moving and having a lot of feeling in them. I'm not sure what they were focusing on exactly. Mm -hmm. So now you get that intersection again. Oh, they're communicating what a man should be. And then they're not the only ones. Did I learn to be that way? Of course. Right? When I cried as a kid, I'll give you something to cry about. Or my father got tough. Right? So don't be a sissy. Don't be a girl. What's wrong with being a girl? It's obviously a bad thing I learned very quickly, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't be a name you would call me. Isn't that interesting? Calling me a, calling someone a girl is like a bad thing, right? right. So I understand where people are coming from, but then you have the toughness of the boy cultivated in it. Also a culture that says don't, there's a certain kind of way to be a male. So those individual issues. So then if again, let's go back to the early part when I say I'm nervous. Oh boy, he has a male. That's even bad. I should be confident and strong and nobody should hurt me. I should be able to take everything. Why? <laughs> right, so you get then my pathologizing of being nervous also becomes a personal issue. And then a gender issue. Boy, as a man, it's even worse. I should certainly not be scared. I have to get over that. Mm. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure if I'm explaining that clearly, I'm, but trying to weave those together what are you I'm, thinking i'm with you yeah what i'm thinking is how <clears throat> it's such or at least in my experience it, it feels like such a shared part of the human experience to have that voice come up in our head of mm. you should be this way you should say this thing you should yeah. take this career path you should dress like this should 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 yeah um if someone is hearing this conversation and most likely resonating with having that shooting voice in their head, yeah. what what's something that they could do or focus on in order to 
mm-hmm. peel back those layers and come back to what do I truly want? What is my truth here? And not just the should. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning. I mean, one of the simplest, but still rare ways of witnessing ourselves, meaning getting to know ourselves, meaning loving ourselves. You can't love yourself unless you're like, if I want to love myself, I have to say, David, I would like to know you, right? That would be, mm-hmm. that has to be a beginning, right? And especially, especially I want to know the things that you don't love about yourself, especially because that's going to be the places where you may need the most love, mm-hmm. right? where love is absent. That's where you need it, right? So how does one do that? How does one get past the filters and ideas? I shouldn't be nervous. I should be this way. I'm a teacher. I should act confident. Whatever those things are, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be triggered. I should be calm. Um, I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't watch so much TV. How do I get past those ideas? I shouldn't be this way. So that I can get to know myself independent of those ideas that's a paradigm shift it's a huge paradigm shift because otherwise i'm taking myself to the proverbial doctor to the therapist to the coach meaning let me take my depression to someone so they can make it go away let me take my nervousness to someone so that it can go away let me take my anger to someone so that it can go away that makes sense i mean by the doctor take this away from me right so how do i get to know something if i'm constantly and persistently looking at it as something I need to go away. If I was your friend and I was always trying to make you go away, or if you were my parent and I were your parent and we were trying to like go away, I don't really want to be around you, you would feel not loved. <laughs> it's a pretty fundamental thing. So how do you invite the person? And one of the best ways is through what people call somatic experience. I call sensory grounded experience. So then you say, oh, you're angry, David. Before you make it go away, What's the anger feel like in your body as a body experience? Well, it's 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 it hurts people. I know that's not a body experience. That's your ideas. I don't want you to hurt people, but let's get to know this thing. We have a judgment about it. Maybe it does hurt people. Maybe you need to be more careful, but let's get to know it first. Well, it's a bad thing. I know it's a bad thing, but can we get <laughs> But what's it? Where does it live in your body? Well, right now. My anger lives in the right beneath my belly button. I can feel it for some reason. It's tight in there. What's it like in there? Feel the physicality of it. Well, it's kind of tight. I feel like my stomach wants to be tighter when I push on it. Oh, that's good. Tight. And you notice when I'm doing that, I'm putting my hand up, not thoughtfully, to make like a like a wall or something hard. My fingers are hard. Oh, it's a hard thing, right? Go ahead and let yourself be hard like that, wall-like. Make your whole being like your tightness in your belly. <clears throat> no, I say, no. Oh, you want to say no. What would you say no to? Whoa, working too hard, worrying about what people think. Oh, whoa, you need a lot of that thing you're calling anger. So to your question, what to do? Put the ideas and opinions aside and get to know the somatic experience, the feelings, and express it with your body. Make a dance, make a hand motion. Mm. Let that thing live. 
You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to act nasty to anybody, but get to know it yourself. And if you can enjoy it a little bit, dancing can help with that. You can make a little dance and enjoy it. This is my anger dance. This feels really good. That builds self-love, the enjoyment of oneself. Yeah. Mm. That's actually something I made a note of that I wanted to talk about with you is um, oh. I heard you say in one, I can't remember which class, but like a client came to you and said something along the lines of how do I get rid of this anger? And you said, get rid of it. Why don't you enjoy it? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, kind of this perspective shift that was right there all along, but we tend to never even think of that as an option because these parts of ourselves are so marginalized and so shamed that the mm-hmm. um, the possibility of even being able to enjoy it is something we usually don't even think of. It's a huge thing. If there's a part of you that bumps up against shame, that means I'm angry. You shouldn't be angry. That means the anger can't be known. It's still a label, but we don't really know it. We didn't know that it was this hard thing where I need to learn to say no to a lot of places. We don't know that. So it looks bad right away from shame's eyes. And then we can't really get to know it. But people think they understand. I think I understand. I'm I'm frightened. But we don't know what their fear is like until we ask. It's like if you see a Black Lives Matter protest, and maybe some people are speaking roughly, harshly. And some people would say, can't they calm down? Can't they relax? Then you're not understanding the context. This is a an experience, feelings that are trying to break through consciousness. They're trying to wake people up to what's happening. It's not acceptable to speak out that way. And when you can speak out, things look not as good. And then you see something happen. Somebody hurts somebody. Somebody breaks the window. And we kind of go, that's all bad. But it's a context. If you try to hold something back, it will look not as good. If you put an animal in a cage, it doesn't look like a healthy animal. Mm. And then if you say, that's unhealthy, you kind of go, yeah, that animal's in a cage. It's either going to bite you when you stick your hands in or sink down and get depressed and not move when you feed it, right? It's going to be depressed yeah. or angry, probably. That's what animals look like when they're caged for long, for any period of time, right? They sort of either get hostile they, that angle, that animal is hostile. It's not. It's a caged animal. That angle is depre- depressed. No, it's a caged animal. And our experiences are like that. They look not well, and then we get labeled unhealthy. But what's being labeled unhealthy is not the feeling themselves. It's a suppressed feeling. Mm-hmm. Suppressed feeling, right? If I hate you, if I hate you, not you, right? If I hate somebody, they're not going to look well. To my, they're not going to act lovely in front of me, probably. <laughs> Right. Like, like somebody hated. And that's what happens to our feelings. So what most people call their feelings, the ones, the difficult ones that they don't want, is not the feeling. It's the feeling trapped in a mm. shame cage. If you take my depression and put it in a shame cage, you'll never get to know my depression. But my depression could be a sinking down really deep into myself. That's really possible. And then people discover all kinds of amazing things. I got to tell you a depression story. A woman said to me, came to me years ago saying she was depressed. These are stories I'm allowed to tell. And sometimes I'll shift something so people wouldn't be able to be identified these anyway. But she said she was de- depressed. And um, I said, we should go into your depression. She said, no, no, no. If I go into my depression, I'll sink and I'll never be able to get out of it. Mm. 
right? Now, my job is to be a witness, an unshaming witness. I'll guide you. We'll walk down into that depression together, and I promise I'll help you get out. Okay, let's sink down into that space. She sinks down. She starts to feel it in her body. Her shoulders sink down. Her body slouches a little bit. Pretty soon she's down on the ground, laying down. Keep going, keep going. This is no good. I know. Keep going, keep going. We don't know it yet. It's stopping before it gets to its depth, its essence, its intention. We go all the way down. She's laying there. Yeah, I just want to let go of everything. Go ahead. And then she starts weeping. Why are you weeping? She said, when I was a child, I believed in angels. And I forgot somewhere in my teens. How can I live without my angel, she said. Wow. Makes me weep. Nobody has to believe in angels. That's not the point. But for her, she was trying to live without some connection that's essential to her spiritual wellness. She grew up. Some people would say, right? <laughs> Let go of your fantasies and your imaginations, your angels, get a job. I don't know, whatever. Get, go get married, whatever the, the, the particular thing is. But down, all the way down, all the way, all the way, she connects with something that had been forgotten in her non-depressed self. I'm up high. I'm up. I'm doing great today. Here, I'm happy. I'm smiling, right? In her up self, her non-depressed self, she's trying to cope with the world without her angels. No, I'm fine today. I'm doing great, Nadine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. Don't worry about it, right? I'm trying to be up. But in her down self, she remembers who she is. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really profound. That touches me. Yeah. And we all need to be in touch with our angels. I'm going to put a quote around angels because that's a, a belief system. I'm not invested in people thinking that. But whatever that means, their soul, you might say, in your language of soul nectar, something deep inside of them that's not only what they were trained and conditioned to be something mm -hmm. more fundamental we lose touch with the fundamental aspects of ourselves. mostly pretty young six seven eight ish by eight most children have lost some connection with that aspect and we start getting good grades and combing our hair and losing weight and whatever we have learned to do right and trying right. to be reasonable and good sons and daughters and whatever those kinds of things yeah, yeah. something mm -hmm. that it's almost laughable that it is radical but in our society it is radical is <laughs> a question that i've heard you ask so many times in sessions is what's it like and those mm -hmm. three words can be so transformative because sometimes we've gone an entire lifetime trying to kill a part of ourselves that we don't even know and we hate it so much and we want to get rid of it we want to suppress it we want to avoid it but we've never even taken a moment to know it yeah. or even be able to describe it or feel it or look at it so what i feel from you and resonate from you so deeply is this continuous mm -hmm. curiosity so mm -hmm. much curiosity like what would it look like to be so curious about every little part of ourselves, without making it wrong, without objectifying it or pathologizing it or shaming it? And we just had this like childlike wonder and curiosity of like, wow, this lives within me. This is something that exists in this universe. Maybe it belongs here. Maybe it has a place here. Maybe if I get out of my own way a little bit, I can express mm -hmm. it. 
and mm-hmm. find the gift within it. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. I love that you're bringing the child, the child's eyes, not the wounded child. That's another thing. The wounded child, you go to therapy to deal with our inner wounded child. People call the inner child up. They bring those together. The inner child, I think, is the inner wounded child. But this also, I'm going to call it the unwounded child. The emotions that flow from love to hate to tiredness to whatever. Um, and those eyes that just see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel good. It's meant for your own for your own good. It still hurts, right? Something that's that's clear um, in the child's eyes. That curious, playful, creative, the natural genius of the child. Yeah. Yeah. That's really big that you bring that in. Sometimes I think this is, I don't think this is true, but I the thought comes to me sometimes that the child is the most hated aspect of our culture. I don't necessarily believe that, but it's but I, it comes to me strongly because it's so strong. And what I mean by hatred is not like I hate children, you know, I there's some of that in the world. But the hatred I'm talking about is the we have to grow you up out of being a mm. child. You know, yeah. like it's my job as an adult to get you to not be a child anymore. <laughs> People aren't thinking that, but and that's great. And we have to mature and develop and, and be initiated and all those things. But there's a great loss of the child's natural capacities. Um, I'm thinking about going to a teacher of mine, uh, Arnold Mendel. He started something called process-oriented psychology and was a student of his for 30 some odd years. And one day I, well, I was, I went to him with a problem. I had hurt my forearm and he said, how did you hurt your forearm? And I said, I lifting weights and I overdid. And he said, why did you overdo? And I said, well, I'm going on vacation in like a month to Jamaica and I'm going to be on the beach. And I think I got a little bit you know, into like wanting to feel stronger and look more muscular and something like that. And he goes, oh, you want to be stronger? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, you hate your weakness. And I was like, whoa, that didn't even occur to me, but it's so, ob- in some ways, so obvious, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with getting stronger and being more muscular, but I wasn't only working out, you see, I was trying to overcome something. That's why I overdid it. Mm. It wasn't like I'm going to exercise every day. It's like, I'm going to do it so hard that I'm going to overcome something. Can you mm-hmm. follow the difference? Why did I have to overcome something? What am I overcoming? <laughs> overcoming not feeling strong. Mm. Anyway, so, and I've been practicing, you know, for 30 plus years. It never even occurred to me. My normal mind was just into it, right? Part of my gender, et cetera. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to have pectoral muscles that are going to look more like the younger guys on the beach or whatever you know that's my fantasy right like like most people that women have that about their bodies men have the same thing about their bodies not quite as potently but still i'm going to have arms that look this way i'm going to have abs that look this way etc right yeah that, that that's human um but um but the hatred of the of the vulnerability of being whew. yeah mm-hmm. as you're were you going to say something? I was going to, but it's okay. <laughs> you, I'm, I want to follow you. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're speaking, it brought to mind your book, You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover, and how, yeah. which is 
incredible, by the way. I put it on my recommended reading list for my clients. Oh. I'm like, you need oh, yeah, to read right. this. I think I saw it's that. Thank so you. life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you worked with all of these different women for the most part who were approaching their weight loss journeys or transformation journeys from this place of like self-punishment and self-hatred and trying to um yeah not coming from a place of love and nourishment and enjoyment are there any particular experiences or stories or people that you worked with in that book or in general around body love and embracing what we look like that you feel called to Mm -hmm. share you know, one of the ones that I haven't thought of this story for a long time, so I'm surprised that it's on my mind, maybe because I'm writing a section on trauma uh, for my new book, but it was a woman who had been trying to lose weight for health reasons and looks reasons. It wasn't just looks, looks are fine also, meaning it's fine to want to look different. There's no shame in that. Um and she also had health issues. And um, she was eating certain things that she thought weren't good, carbohydrates of various kinds. Potatoes, I think, was a main one. And um, I started asking her what it was like. Oh, no, I remember. Sorry. I'm looking up to the left. That means I'm trying to remember the detail. I asked her when her weight changed and she said about five years ago that's a really interesting question because for some people their body becoming very thin or very big i'm going to starve myself or eat a lot Mm -hmm. sometimes that happens at the moment of in life of something really horrific or difficult or abusive that's happened for instance someone was sexually abused when they were young they might start doing something with their body, mm-hmm. right? That's not uncommon, right? Eat or starve. <laughs> I asked somebody, what's it like to eat? And they said, it's eat a lot and get bigger. Then I get so big, I become invisible to men. I said, what's so good uh, to ask somebody about starving yourself? If I can starve myself, I can go, I can make myself go smaller and smaller until I'm invisible so the men don't see me. So it's interesting Wow. It wouldn't be for everybody, but you can see how both of the, those stories, they're not everybody's, but they're many people's. I want to go away. That's not good to go away. But if we unshame, oh, you want to be safe from certain kinds of energies that are hurtful to you. Let me help you become safe is then the question, as opposed to let me help you stop, you know, start eating or stop eating. First, I have to deal with the safety issue. So this woman said it happened about X years ago, five years ago. And I said, do you remember anything about five years ago? Yes, a man online started stalking her. She blocked him. And then he started having messages on her voicemail on her phone. And a gift arrived to her house. She was like, oh, shit, this person knows where I live. (laughs) And so she started talking about that and the messages he left her. The first thing that was interesting, Nadine, about that as I said, were you aware of the fact that your eating habits changed at that time? She said, I never thought about it. Mm. So, makes me cry. Just witnessing that, ask wanting, to, what's it like? What happened? What was your story? I want to know. 
rather than thinking, wow, I'm just overeating, she now connects with the story. Now we can see the need for compassion as opposed to here's the three ways that you should stop eating potatoes. We start having compassion for her. Oh my gosh, I, sounds like a difficult moment happened. You deserve to be understood. There's not something wrong with you. Something happened that we need to understand. Mm -hmm. That shift for many people, I want to hear your story as opposed to your analysis of what's wrong with you. That can be a very unshaming thing. And she said he said awful things to her. Um, and this is a little bit intense. Is it okay that I say this in the, for you? And Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I guess people would want me to tell them that they could get triggered because it's a traumatic story. And some people will have feelings about that. They should hold on to themselves somehow if that's hard. Um, and I said, what were some of the things he said to you that were so difficult? And she looked at me, her eyes got glassy, and she doesn't answer. Right In a world of trauma, we know she's dissociating. I'm bringing up a moment, and her system starts going away. Mm -hmm. We have to unshame dissociation. What's intelligent about dissociation? Get me out of here! Mm -hmm. <laughs> her body is saying, right? She's still there somewhat. We need to get her out of there, right? Does that make sense? If we believe her dissociation, get me out of here. Oh, you're still there. Mm. Let you get out of here. And I said, how you doing? Uh, she said, my hands are numb. I was like, well, can you feel your hands? Touch your hands? Make contact with your hands? She says, now my feet are numb also. I tried to help her come into her body, but I'm rubbing my hands. By her, her, it was on Zoom, so I couldn't be touching her. Who knows? Well, I would have anyway. That would have been a whole issue of consent and things. But I asked her to touch her own hands, hoping she can come into her body. But her body says, more dissociation, not less. More numbness now, more of that. I need to go away even more. Don't help me arrive here in my body. Help me. It's not safe to be in this body. I want it to be gone. Does that make sense? So I tried something was wrong. It's not bad that I did it, but I had to listen to her body say, no, right? My body says, I want to go further away. That's not helping. It makes me want to go further away. Okay, let's go further away. I'm listening to her take, show me with the direction, right? I'm following her communication. And I said, where would you go if, if you could be most comfortable and just be numb and forget everything and not have to feel... She said, I would go into bed. And I said, would well, you want it? Should we end our time and you can just go to bed, do whatever is comfortable? Or do you want to imagine that you were free to go to bed? She said, I'm okay imagining that with you. I said, okay, what happens? I go into bed. I said, how does that feel? This is also triggering. And she said, I'm naked. Whew. That's strong. And I'm a man person, you see. So that also is important to me because now she's with a man potentially feeling naked and not, not in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. Not in, oh, this is a yummy, vulnerable, pleasurable experience. I said, what would you do to be more comfortable? She said, I put on my sweatpants and sweatshirt. Okay, go on. Imagine you put that on. How does that feel? A little better. When someone says a little better, that means that they're not going far enough. Does that make sense? I'm backing off two feet. I'm a little bit safer. That means I want to go back more feet, right? So 
said, what would you do to make yourself even feel more better? I'd put another sweatshirt and sweatpants on. Is that enough? No. I'm put three sweatpants and three sweatshirts on. Now I feel more comfortable. Now she's becoming more present. What's it like to have three pair of sweatpants and three sweatshirts on? I can tell you, Nadine, that's what her body is doing. Her body says, mm -hmm. I need three sweatshirts and three sweatpants wrapped around me. Smart body. Wow. Smart body. And someone say, but that's not good because you didn't say, but if we bypass the fact that more important than stopping eating, dieting, losing weight is safety. That means whatever diet program we help her with, it better start with safety because her body says, I will value safety above eating potatoes and gaining all kinds of weight. Safety first. She's not saying that with her mind. Mm -hmm. She's saying I should lose weight. But her unconscious mind, her body is saying, I will eat, eat as long as I need to to feel safe. Safety number one. So if I have, a, again, a diet program that forgets about safety, I miss the, I miss her. What should I do with my body? We have to talk about how do you become safe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing teaching for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's such a, such a gorgeous example of how, what we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. curiosity and its power and just witnessing and being curious and leaning in, leaning in, getting so intimate with an experience, with a sensation, with a part of ourselves and the common, I guess, protocol in allopathic medicine or in weight loss or um, mm -hmm. any of these systems is to view a person not as a subjective individual having their own human subjective experience, but as, oh, these are the symptoms. Here you go. It's like kind of a factory way of dealing with something instead of recognizing this unique soul, this unique individual mm -hmm. in front of you. And when you just have that curiosity mm -hmm. to ask them, what's it like? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Can we go a little bit deeper inside of this part mm -hmm. of yourself? It unravels so much that we were previously blind to. Yeah. Um, and then that thing that they desired, whether it's weight loss or something else, would most likely never be sustainable until you got to that root, you got to that seed. Yeah. Um, for me personally, like I grew up relating to the body as inferior and as this kind of like dead, just static thing that's here mm -hmm. to be controlled and manipulated mm -hmm. and not recognizing that every symptom every like urge or habit or behavior has its own intelligence within it. And mm -hmm. when we have the courage to listen and to lean in that intelligence naturally reveals itself, mm -hmm. but it takes like this new flavor of listening, like this deep, deep, deep listening that many of us were never taught how to right. do. What, what inside of you or in your story, either one or in your soul leads you to be, passionately interested moved by working this way because it must be mm. it's not just me I, I i do good things i'm proud of myself but then something resonates for you that means for me that it lives in you also in your version of it right yeah something resonates for someone that means it lives inside of them too yeah yeah is that how is that 
live inside of you or where did that that particular resonance come from Mm, that's a beautiful question I would say it's like an obsession. I'm so obsessed with the intelligence of the body. And um, mm-hmm. I think it came from the first thing that comes to mind is some um, sexually traumatic experiences and yeah. how my body held on to that. And I kind of shamed myself or judged myself for mm-hmm. how I showed yeah. up to relationships and intimacy after that. And shaming Mm -hmm. myself of like, why am I closed off? Why is this thing coming up again? So Mm -hmm. when I was opened up to this world of somatic experiencing and psychosomatic processes that recognize that there's no separation between the mind and the body. um, And when I had my own psychosomatic healing experiences, Mm -hmm. it blew my mind and like ignited this really deep passion and fascination within me. Um, there was this point where I went through, you could say a dark night of the soul and was just drowning in darkness and depression. And my entire body just shut down, like froze. My neck was frozen, like down and to the left and I couldn't move it. Um, and that was one of the first times that I had that extreme of a psychosomatic reaction, which was of course painful, but it was also really fascinating and exciting to like mm-hmm. be living that experience and having an embodied understanding of how profound mm-hmm. that connection is between mind and body. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You had a traumatic experience when your body started doing its thing, creating right. an expression. And then, but not everybody meets those kinds of experiences with the kind of passion and fascination you have that not saying that there's other, not other good ways, you know, other people meet them, but that's a uniqueness of you because not everyone meets their difficulties with the same thing. It's people meet them differently. Some people meet them wanting to, you know, raise children that don't have that. That's some people, or both. Some people want to make art. Some people learn to create boxes inside of themselves. So people do different kinds of, things and gifts but you have a a healer's passion or instinct um mm. you know that i'm i'm hearing in you that's really enlivening mm. it makes me want to like keep going or support <laughs> you or i don't know whatever you call that um, mm. you know offer you some wind at your back for the direction that you're going yeah mm. Thank you so much for seeing that and reflecting that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I resonate so deeply with how you show up in the world is I have this insatiable curiosity and love just experiencing and adventuring and exploring. And even if it's like a psychological exploration, it just feels so exciting to me, (laughs) the unknown and allowing that to unravel. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I was thinking about your word soul and in reading your description of your podcast and the spiritual background that interests you it's a what i'm doing i call it psychological and it is but in some way it's not it's both it's it addresses what people call psychological issues and making these distinctions sometimes is not helpful because whatever because it the distinctions that live in my mind that no one really needs to understand to be 
interested. But in some way, I have a many different trainings, but one of them is a a cohort training. I teach therapists and coaches and facilitators like a year long. Like I'm going to teach you to do what I do, not at my level because I'm practicing for 30, 30 years, but the fundamental um, skills. And one of the things that I, skills and awareness, because you have to notice things. But one of the things I say to people is the radical, difficult, yet simple thing that I'm going to teach you through this whole year is that um, I'm not going to offer you, this is the radical part, a model of health. It's not good to be this way versus this way. It's not good to rest or to be productive. It's not better to eat ice cream, not eat ice cream. It's not better to be depressed, not depressed. I'm not going to teach you that. I'm not saying people wouldn't be more comfortable, but I'm not going to teach you that and then a model and a theory about that. I'm not going to say you should be codependent, you shouldn't be codependent. I'm not offering a psychological theory. I'm offering you a practice, and the practice is essentially a spiritual practice. It's an awareness practice. And that means you look at something and you witness it as cleanly and purely as you can. That takes a certain amount of love because without love, it's it's hate. It's not objective. Yeah. So that means a certain kind of love. You see it. You believe in it. You said the words before. You respect it. And then you believe that its natural intelligence is built into it, like any part of nature. Like this is why bees go to flowers. And then if we don't have the bees, we don't have tomatoes. And, you know, like nature has that wonderful woven in brilliance, natural intelligence in, in her. So I'm going to teach you how to look at things, believe in things, and believe that there's a natural organic flowering that's possible. And you pour that witnessing on and then it will do its thing. But isn't there some things that are good, some things are bad? No matter what the person presents, do this. The same thing. Look at it, witness it, believe in its unfolding. And then you need some skills to so you know how to look at something so that it's encouraged. So, um, yeah. But in that way, I'm not offering a psychological theory. It's really, this is how you witness. We could teach parents to do that with children. Maybe wouldn't have to do it in an exact way, but the same fundamental uh, qualities. And I consider that an awareness practice or a spiritual practice. And the spiritual aspect is, I think that people have a nature, just like nature, the outer world's nature, and that the nature of a person organically unfolds when it's given sun, moisture, when it's given the right uh, nectar, you I call it. It just does that. So you don't have to figure out how to heal the person. You, you can believe in them and then follow them and lay these this soul juice on them and then it will happen. So that's a spiritual belief system that I have. And so I'm like, I'm so, it's not confident, but I know it's true. I know if I put that on someone, they're going to show me something and it'd be probably something I'd never seen before. Like I didn't know that woman was going to tell me she was going to put on sweatshirts. I didn't think she was going to become numb. I was nervous about her becoming numb. I didn't think when I said, let's get less numb that that was, I thought that was going to help, but it didn't, right? So well, all my ideas and theories were not helpful, but her body knew exactly what to do. <laughs> Retreat, go numb, get away, put on sweatshirts, right? She knew exactly what to do. Um, no book would have told me that. That I have to follow the person. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, 
something also i do want to be mindful of your time so i'm gonna wrap this up oh yeah we should wrap up (laughs) (laughs) um but just really quick something that brought up for me is um Mm. like people can come to work with a coach a facilitator a therapist and have like a very clear maybe rigid initiative of getting rid of something or healing something fixing something changing something and to work in my perspective like with the world of unshaming the purpose is not necessarily to fix something or change something or make something go away so i'm curious in your own words if someone's like well what's the point like if i'm not going to change this thing or fix this thing or heal this thing what's the point of unshaming yeah the point of unshaming is that inside of you especially where the difficulties are are seeds of your wholeness of the best of you, the depths of you, the authenticity of you, the gifts and genius of you, and even the path of life that's meant for you, that intelligence is in those difficulties. So the goal for me, first and foremost, is help, if I'm working with you, help Nadine get to know herself, unfold and flower further into herself, so that She's more authentically herself so that her intimacies are true because now she's herself as opposed to a a role or something. And so that whatever path that her life could take, the path of her own heart and the medicine she can provide to the world and who she's going to become and how she's going to treat other people and make podcasts so that that path is the one she actually lives. Mm. Now, for many people, that will relieve the symptoms that initiated like your neck might get better, right? It might get better, meaning that symptom may not persist in delivering its message. Okay, I'll stop with the headaches now that you got the meaning. But not all the time. Mm-hmm. Some, some people's symptoms continue. And the truth is, some people's con- symptoms continue, whether they go to a medical doctor or an acupuncturist, a nutritionist, an energy healer or shaman. <laughs> Does this take away their symptoms more or less than other things. I don't know. Some symptoms don't get, some seem to get better. I work with people where their, you know, heavy duty symptoms have just gone away. I've worked with some people whose symptoms gotten worse and they died literally, you know, not from my treatment, but they had infections and cancers and they were going to get sicker. Those people tried many other things also. (laughs) So Yeah. So for some people, and some things are easier to unfold if a person has a lot of heat in them causing stomach acid or bowel issues or something like that, it's more likely that they can express that heat and the body will be relieved. Mm -hmm. But some things are much more difficult. Some things are more chronic and may have been chronic for generations and they can relieve, but often that person still needs to live the life meant for them. It's the the best medicine. Mm. What what do you think? That's how I see my job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do I think? I think Mm. the word that keeps coming up is truth. It's Mm -hmm. living a life as close to the truth of your soul, the truth of the core of your being as possible. And to me, like what in the world is more important than that, you know? Mm. And it's interesting how in my experience, when we approach a part of ourselves with the clear objective to change it or fix it, that's rarely what actually <laughs> happens when we approach it with 
care and tenderness and awe and curiosity that naturally like alchemizes it and allows it to soften and change. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with the language. I feel like I'm reading some of my own words or reading your words or hearing (laughs) the way you reflect things. I'm like, it's such a great question, isn't it? What is healing anyway? This thing that we're, because otherwise we're steeped in the mainstream notion, which is healing means the symptoms go away. And I think, great. If you are suffering from something and your symptoms can be relieved, amen. I would do what I could. I wouldn't say, don't, don't do that. Don't take Tylenol or don't get surgery if you have a tumor. I, I would never say that to people. I don't. I encourage them to do what they're inclined to do. Um, but there's a certain, I don't want to be too critical, but there's a certain naivety in the wellness industry. It caters to a certain naivety. I can have a life without, the ideal life is a life without any difficulty or any suffering. Mm-hmm. That makes me nervous. I don't want people to suffer. I don't think it's good to suffer. I don't think I, it's good people are, you were hurt and that because you developed this. I think you did develop it and I'm glad you did, but I'm not thinking it was good that you were hurt or that you needed to be hurt to get that. Right. But we do, as you say, alchemy, we do cook and alchemize in difficulty. That is part of our capacity. The genius of our natures is that it's able to do that. So, um, yeah, suffering lasts. I did a a clinic a month ago or so. You may have saw it on chronic symptoms. Mm -hmm. The free class. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the replay. I don't know. I had, I just said, I'm going to, I just got interested in that. I worked with people who have chronic physical illnesses and symptoms for years, but I never really sat and thought, I wonder what this is all about. I'd like to learn more. So I thought I'm just going to offer a free clinic on that work with people and then help them and learn, right? 1200 people registered for that with like, with a few posts, like literally, like I didn't like do a heavy advertising of it. It was like, holy shit. And then I asked people if they would volunteer beforehand to work on things in the class so I can choose because otherwise I have a hundred people because I usually work with people in my classes and model the techniques that I'm going to be talking about. And um, so I thought I better make that decision before. And otherwise it's going to be like, I won't be able to do that. I don't know, like 50 or so people sent me these descriptions of what they go through on a daily basis for years and years, you know, chronic pains and sounds in their ears that are horrific and dizzinesses and nauseas and and then lists of things you know like i have four different things you know i got this this and this and this. i have lyme and i have chronic pain and i have this and i have inflammations here and and i'm just like first the thing i did and then i read those i was just like weeping i'm like wow this is like where are these people they're all over the place you know but the invisibility the culture that says get over everything and if you're working hard and doing it right, you will get over everything. Then there's dangerous to this people all over the place who are not getting over these things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're feeling things that some other people don't feel. Some of us are more immune to those. I'm glad, but some of us are less immune. I'm not glad for their suffering, but I'm glad that they're aware of the fact that there's less oxygen in the world and that their lungs are becoming asthmatic. I don't want them to become asthmatic, but they're awake to something that I don't notice. What do we do with that other than say, how do we make that go away? How do we listen to those people as teachers? Not as 
you have a problem. I'm the doctor. You're the patient. I know more than you about how to heal you. How do we, how do I become a student of their teachings? And that's what I intended to do that time and learn from, from them. And then maybe their symptoms will get better, but their life will be lifted from the mm-hmm. shame of what's wrong with me. Why can I get over this? I'm not as good. I can't produce. I'm not as, I'm not as good as a mom because I'm tired too much. And all the shit those people live in, in addition to the physical symptoms, the world they yeah. live inside is horrific and treat them with their respect. And they, um, yeah, and I should be at their feet learning. They should be at my feet learning at my feet. You know what I mean? So I should listen to them. They're the gurus. <laughs> I'm the guru is a bad word, you know, but I'm the teacher in certain ways. And then they're teachers in certain ways. They have mm-hmm. things that they know about the world their bodies no that's a different perspective on the what is healing to me it's diversity issue and lifting those parts of us and those people who are experiencing the symptoms and those parts of us that experience symptoms and yeah developing a more loving world Mm. Mm. oh my gosh i wish I wish your work could be like a prerequisite for all (laughs) medicine and modalities because it completely shifts how we view healing. You know, we have this very linear model of needing to eliminate the symptoms or become a certain version of ourselves. But what if it means sinking down deep into everything that's already here? Yeah, it's a path. It's a path, not for everybody, but for some people, clearly for you, for some people, it's the path. Yeah, I want to go into that depth, and some people it's not, and then they, I don't know, and then then don't right. It's then yeah. Um, um, but for some people it's a path, a kind of a spiritual path. I'm hungry for that kind of depth of knowledge of myself and the world, and that kind of essence of loving that opens to the difficult things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Nadine. What a, what a not just a pleasure. I was going to say pleasure, but. It's a special privilege to talk to you. Your yeah, I can feel your own resonance and your brightness. You're such a bright light in the way you use language and the way you think and your joy when you talk about things. It's just I'm just glad you're in the world doing your thing. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. The feeling is very mutual and I could keep talking for hours and hours, I but I know we got to wrap this up. That's what happens to me. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like, like, no, there's so many more things. We're just getting stuff. going. We're just warming up, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, is there anywhere that you want to direct people where they can find your work, any offerings that you have going on? When will, pe- when will the podcast be out? Mm, definitely this month, pretty soon. Okay. I think it's on the... I think it's on the 19th. I'm going to look now. On the 19th, I'm doing something called Unshaming Addictions. Um, it's one of these things that like every so often I do something that either free or very low fee because I just think somebody should know something about these fundamentals or something. So that I made like $33. It's going to be like a three-hour class. People call them master classes. I don't know. And that's a fine word. You know, talk about unshaming addictions, some fundamentals, and work with people. Um, that's on the 19th. Um, otherwise, what's coming next? I, as, as you know, I mentioned already, um, I do once or twice a year, I do a longer training. It wouldn't just be for personal development. It's for professional development, meaning 
people who come want to learn how to do the things I'm doing, use the skills and awarenesses and practice and get feedback and practice doing these things by working with people. Um, it's not a personal, you know, people learn a lot about themselves, but it's really not for like, oh, I want to be able to work on myself more. I have other mm -hmm. things like that. So that's the next one is next February. But on my website, there's all kinds of things. There's free guides on unshaming. People can click. There's a whole range of classes. Some of them are very low fee um, to make it accessible. And some of them are rather expensive, like my cohort trainings. So, yeah. Perfect. And for everyone listening, I'm going to leave those links in the show notes for you to explore. Oh, Thank thanks. you so, so much, David. Like this has been beyond a gift. And mm -hmm. yeah, you've really made such an impact on me and my I life and my clients' lives. So thank you so that. much for all that you do. You're welcome. <laughs> Congratulations on making it to the very end of a podcast episode. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Make sure to leave a rating and a review to support the show and help more lovely souls like yourself to discover these conversations. It really makes a massive difference. If you screenshot your review and you email it to Nadine at bloomwithnadine.com, you'll be sent a free transformational masterclass as well as a chance to win a private somatic coaching session with me. If you got something out of listening, remember to send this episode to your friends, lovers, and family, and to share it on your social media and tag me at bloomwithnadine. I would absolutely love to hear how this landed for you. I'm sending so much love and I hope to meet again in the next episode.